know what you're thinking. I was thinking the same thing when I went through this. That I traded my fate for Spock's? Yes. This isn't going to help, but... It gets worse. This war with the Romulans? Millions die. So far, it's still going on. Not only did you start something that should never have been started, the best chance at a lasting peace between the Federation and the Romulans in any timeline. Well, turns out he's lying in a bio bed. Welcome to the General Order One podcast, where we are discussing the Star Trek Strange New Worlds television show. I'm joined by my longtime friends, Ben. Hello. And Jason. I'm back. That's right. You are back from shore leave and... Holidays were rough. Yeah, well, yes, the last couple were done in December around Christmas and family. It didn't, and it definitely made it tough. And I think a couple of us got sick, but we are all back together now. And we are discussing season one, episode 10. I think it's pretty sad that you guys couldn't make time for your Star Trek podcast during the holidays. I, I made it, but I, 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 Jason, you need to get your priorities straight. Seriously. I, you know, I'm, I'm, about to file divorce papers um and just podcast full time yeah i'm i'm getting there i'm almost there so i think by having a star trek podcast that's going to just get taken care of for you like the universe <laughs> is going to work that one out you're not going to have to do anything did you have to put a reason on the divorce paperwork and like the reason could be need more time to podcast i'm pretty sure if if you put down spouse is doing a star trek podcast i just <laughs> fast track it like, like they the, don't even have a hearing. The judge just stamps <laughs> it and that's it. There you go. All right. Today we are discussing the season one finality, finale, and it is entitled Equality of Mercy. Uh, before we start speaking of divorce, Ben, how is your wife doing? Has she divorced you? Because I was texting her pictures of uh, sultry pictures of Pike all day and she was all over it. Yeah, that's not a good comparison for me. Um <laughs> I'd appreciate you could just not not remind her that Anson Mount exists in the world. I'd, I'd appreciate that. Man, I was watching this episode, and yeah, he's he's got a commanding presence and some good like full on face shots. And I was screenshotting them and sending them to Ben's wife because I know she's into Captain Pike. She has good taste about Pike. Maybe not Ben, but yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and she, like she's not even into Captain. I think she's just into Captain Pike because she thinks it's funny, not. Be- I don't even know how it started. Like she just, I mean, I can count the number of times she sent me a text on one hand and she sent me a message one day about you talking about Pike and how, and how great looking he was. And I just agreed with her. I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway. All right, let's get started. I feel like this one might go long because there's a lot in this episode. Yeah. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Okay. So, uh, the episode opens, um, with Pike doing a voiceover and he mentions that they are on the edge of the neutral zone and that the enterprise and the USS Cayuga are giving supplies, uh, to the various outposts and doing some retrofitting. So they are on the edge of Federation space. So they are far away from, um, the rest of the fleet. Um, so just to set the stage that they, that will definitely come up later. Yeah, I mean, well, they make mention later in the episode that it takes several months to get out here from from Earth. So they are way, way out. So um, 
we see Pike in his quarters and he is cooking uh, dinner, I assume, for uh, Captain Battelle, which if you remember from the very first episode, or the pilot, um, she's essentially the one that uh, tries to talk him into coming back to Starfleet. So we haven't seen her since, but uh, she is back and today she is on the Enterprise. And they seem to be captains with benefits. Yes, for sure. I mean, they were in the pilot, too, right? I mean, she comes out of his bed. I mean, there's no explanation of who this lady is. Anyway, they're clearly good friends. So um, there is some discussion here. They are talking about the neutral zone, um, and it's worth mentioning here that uh, I believe Pike says that the neutral zone is a remnant of the Federation and Romulan War from 100 years ago. So, I mean, just like the, you know, modern countries have their own borders and I guess international waters are sort of the neutral zone of, you know, earth. There are, um, certain sections of space that are designed or designated to various races. And then there's the neutral zone, which is sort of no man's land. Yeah. It's like the DMZ between North and South Korea. Oh, there you go. That's a good description. So, um, there's an interesting line here. They're, they're discussing the Romulans and they're discussing the neutral zone. They're basically setting the stage for, you know, what's going to happen. They're, they're, they're telling the audience, they're giving the audience a little backstory. Um, and, and Pike says, ah, the Romulans are the boogeymen. No one's ever seen one, which doesn't make any sense. Cause he just got done saying that they, that the neutral zone is a remnant of this war from a hundred years ago. Like I know a hundred years is a long time, but don't you have history books? No, the, like in the idea is that back during this war, they, I mean, they knew the Romulans were, they fought them, but they never saw one. They really? just, they were just doing ship to ship combat. They never captured anybody. You know, they never communicated over the view screen. So they, they don't know that the Romulans are Vulcans basically. Well, it it was a big reveal. So we talked about this uh, earlier in our our uh, journey through the season. Um, I can't remember which episode it was, but there was one, you know, whatever episode was that they had that was the sub episode where they were fighting. Was it the one they were fighting the Gorn or something? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Memento Um, Mori. Yeah, it was Memento Mori. Um, I said uh, it reminded me a lot of an original series episode called uh, Balance of Terror. And, uh, yeah, we're gonna have a lot to talk about with that one. because That's basically <laughs> what this episode is. So, uh, they really lean to do it for this one. Well, it, it's interesting that they, that, I mean, Pike says the Romulans are boogeymen, which is almost word for word. What was it? He, or what, what one of them said about the Gorn, right? So this is the second big scary enemy that nobody's right. seen, right? I, I don't know why they went with that. I mean, they could have just said, oh, it's the Romulans. They're back. We haven't seen them in a hundred years, but I, I don't know. Well, in in the original series, that episode, they made a big deal about how the Romulans were, you know, causing trouble in the neutral zone, but that no one had ever seen a Romulan. They didn't even know what they looked like. And then it was this big reveal that they look like Vulcans. Well, there's a big reveal in this episode, too. So Right. But, I mean, they have to stick to their canon on this one that the the Federation doesn't know what a Romulan looks like yet. Okay. Well, in in all fairness, I... Didn't I'm not a huge original series fan, so I I honestly don't remember the history of that. So I wrote down a little history of the Romulans, so we can go over that a little bit too. Um, the what we see next is uh, Pike, Una, Spock, and one of the colonists from uh, this outpost are in this meeting room. 
The colonist mentions that they are having supply chain issues, um, most likely because they're so far out in space, they just don't have the supplies that they need, which is part of the reason the Enterprise is there. Yeah, this guy's the commander of the station. Of the outpost? They have these various, you know, they're they're not quite star bases. They're like, you know, these stations, listening posts, I guess you'd say, built into these asteroids along the neutral zone. So he's the commander of this one that they're currently guarding. They're having a discussion about supply chain issues. He mentions that they're going to give them some supplies and some matter replicators, and, and the outpost guy is pretty happy. Right about then, his uh, his son sort of kind of runs in, and he's all excited to meet um, Captain Pike. And I think the dad at one point mentions that you know he's got a model of the Enterprise in his bedroom. So th- this kid is kind of a, a Starfleet nerd. He wants to join Starfleet later. And when the kid walks over and introduces himself to Pike, um, he basically tells him his name, and Pike realizes that this boy is one of the the cadets from his flashback that ends up dying. So he, Pike kind of immediately freaks out, and you know, diplomatically, he just he steps out because he's a little taken aback that you know he's going to be involved in this kid's death in the future. Yeah, he he's shook. Yeah, he he gets up and leaves. He says, "You know, I'm I'm a little under the weather. I'm gonna I'm gonna take off." And he just he's like, "You can deal with Spock." And he just gets up, and uh, he's clearly very unhappy. And when we get back, so we see it cuts to uh, Pike in his quarters, and he's giving dictation to the computer. I've never actually seen anyone on Star Trek do this. He says, "Computer, take dictation." Like he's yeah. going to write a letter. I mean, usually like when they do captain's log, they just, you know, or when they want to record something, I, I guess. We've never really heard how they even start that. Yeah. Anyway, the point is he says, computer, take dictation. And he starts a letter and he's going to be, he's writing a letter to this kid in the future is essentially what he's going to do. And he's going to tell this kid, you know, you need to avoid me or do whatever. He's trying to keep this kid from get, getting killed. Right. And then sort of out of nowhere, like this dark pike or this future pike appears and he's wearing a um a bright not bright red he's wearing like a blood red starfleet uniform and it has some insignia that I've never seen on a star trek uniform before it's so it's the it's, uniforms from the original series movies oh okay it's clearly I recognize that yeah it's clearly very different than what we're used to so you get the you get the dichotomy that these are two very different people um, yeah, we we know. Yeah, we can tell by that that he's he's come from the future because those are the uniforms that debuted in Wrath of Khan. I recognized it from like Star Trek Generations, but I guess it's in most of the movies. Yeah, but that yeah. like like really ruffly collar thing. Yeah, it's um, the future Pike tells Pike or current Pike, you know, whatever you want to call him, that he says, don't write that letter. You're going to write this letter to this kid and tell him not to join Starfleet or whatever. And he says it'll wreck the future. So he's he's warning he specifically him. He tells him that you're going to write letters to all of these kids and you're going to save them and yourself. Right. But that there are consequences to that. So um, he mentions that uh, Future Pike mentions that two cadets die in the accident seven years in the future. So if you remember at the beginning of the series, uh, Pike had 10 years left until his premonition comes true. So apparently we've passed three years of time has passed since that. So the clock is ticking. Um, 
So right about then, future Pike kind of gets, I guess it's out of his pocket. I wasn't clear where it came from. He gets this like wooden box out and he shows current Pike this time crystal, this green looking gem thing, right? Yeah. Now I'm assuming this is something that came up in discovery at some point. This, this whole idea of these, these Klingon monks that have the power to travel through time. I mean, it, I'm, because I still don't know as a, as a viewer of just Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I have no idea how Captain Pike knows his future, which is pretty frustrating to me. I mean, I I feel like they should have given some indication of what's going on here for the people who didn't see Discovery. That, that is a good point. I mean, I, I did see that section of Discovery, and I it wasn't particularly memorable. I mean, well... In in my defense, most of Discovery wasn't memorable, so that doesn't particularly stand out. But yeah. that, that is a good point. They should at least give like a very like a ten second overview of how this happened. Something. I mean, I know yeah. he he had some experience where he saw his future, and that's really the most important piece of information. But and I know they've mentioned these Klingon monks a couple times, but I don't know. You know, wait, why do these Klingon monks have the ability to travel through time? That's pretty weird. Like you'd think if the Klingons had time travel, they'd have. Used it to take over the galaxy by now, but who knows? Well, I just assumed it was like the visions, like uh, Anakin got of his of Padme dying. You know, just visions that are haunting him, and he he takes great stock in them. They're so real. That's that's the extent that I got. But yeah, it's it's not I mean, a great element to take from the prequels. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it doesn't really matter for the for this show. I mean, we just know that Pike does know his future, and uh, he's clearly been ravaged by it this whole season as he tries to deal with it. And so uh, now he's got a chance, you know, to either learn a little bit more about it or perhaps change his future. So, uh, right, but this isn't just visions. Like, future yeah. Pike is present on the Enterprise in his quarters. So. You know they can apparently send someone back in time, but what hey. uh, what current Pike ends up doing is you know uh, that he touches the crystal and then it cuts to a new scene and you see Pike and he's in front of a group of Starfleet personnel you know on a, a loading bay or something and and you realize that he's performing a wedding and he's in the middle you know he's at the the podium and he's mid sentence and then he kind of you know, I don't want to say beams in, that's the wrong word, but he just, he becomes aware in this and then he's kind of freaked out that he's got to do this wedding and he stumbles through a couple lines and then all of a sudden red alert goes off and Pike under his breath goes, oh, thank God. Right. And then, yeah, thank yeah. God the, the, the lives of my entire crew are in danger. I get out of this public speaking engagement. He was like, I, yeah, he didn't know the bride and groom's name, but red alert was better because yeah. So, yeah. So real quick though, we should talk about what he specifically, why he's coming to the future here. Um, his, you know, future Pike tells him that, you know, he's been warned by these Klingon monks that his actions of changing the past have resulted in this, this terrible future. Um, but they need to know, he needs to know basically what, exactly it is that he's doing that's causing this or the so, alternative was to just kill him right he's like he convinced yeah, him yeah the klingons were just going to kill him and he said well wait hang on i can instead i'll just show him what's going to happen and then he'll be willing to to not change things like he was gonna so he's here to see you know what this horrible future is that 
is going to take place because he he changed the past. I mean, it's sort of a ghost of Christmas present and past and future right. thing where he's going to go see what his actions. Yeah. yeah. So, so he says, says, you know, to to find out what this terrible future is, I have to live it is some or the lines something along those lines. We see we cut to the bridge and we hear that Outpost Four has sent a message and or sent a distress call, I believe, and then went silent. Um, they are about eight minutes away from Outpost Four, so they they're not right on top of it. But Ortegas is convinced that it is the quote quote fingers same attacker. And then she pauses and she says the Romulan. So again, he kind of came into this that apparently in this timeline, the Romulans had already been attacking um, this outpost or some of the other outposts. So they are very aware of the Romulans in this time frame, whereas in the present timeline, their the Romulans are boogeymen that no one has seen in a hundred years. Well, even in this timeline, they haven't seen them yet. Well, I mean, she it comes up later when they see them for the first time. So, well, okay. I mean, when I say see, yeah, you're right. Visually, they haven't seen them, but but Ortegas was very aware that they were the Romulans. It wasn't like, hey, there's an unknown ship attacking this outpost. Yeah, we've jumped into the yeah. middle of this like weeks long crisis where the Romulans have been attacking these outposts on the on the uh, neutral zone. So we cut to the ready room and we see Spock and Pike. And um, he's getting some information from Spock about, you know, where he is. And uh, Spock mentions that it's 2266, which is seven years in the future from where he was. So this is going to be essentially the end, you know, most likely his death or very soon um, after this event. So what we're setting up for is that there is some sort of major event that triggers, you know, this catastrophe. And and again, that's what uh, Pike is here to learn about. Yeah. Seven years is a is a nice number of seasons. Seven seasons. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean that it is worth mentioning that pretty much all of the major Star Trek series did go seven seasons, right? I mean, Next Generation went seven seasons, Voyager went seven seasons, Deep Space Nine, yeah, nine went seven, seven seasons. Yeah, and I that think that was the formula they were sticking to yeah. back then. The plan and, was for Enterprise to go seven seasons. Yeah. Right. Um. So uh, <laughs> Pike is a little out of it because he's just, you know, essentially appeared in this timeline and he, he's trying to get caught up. And uh, Spock asks him if he's feeling OK. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. It's I, I just did some time traveling. And <laughs> and Spock's <laughs> line is approaching this logically. Time travel seems a, lo- a less likely solution than you are compromised mentally. <laughs> so it's true. It's well, much yeah, more absolutely. Likely that he's out of it than he's actually traveled through time, especially as the captain of a ship, right? You know, you don't. At one point, um, Spock says he he offers to take command. He's like, "Look, you're not in your right mind." As the, you know, well, he doesn't offer. He says, "Hey, as the first officer, it's my duty to relieve you of command since you've just admitted that you're traveling through time. So either something weird's going on with you, or you're crazy. Either way, you're not going to. You shouldn't be the captain right now." Ike just immediately offers up. He's like, hey, how about a mind meld? And then I can prove that I'm not crazy. So they're playing fast and loose with the mind melds in this. Yeah. In previous Star Trek, like a mind meld was very, I want to say traumatic. It's very last resort. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of taboo to just do it. It's not like, it's, it's a very intimate thing, which right. the Vulcans aren't like super comfortable with. So 
you don't just do a mind meld with anybody. It's not something you do casually. And right. so, uh, you know, for him to suggest it as just this kind of routine thing and for Spock to agree to that kind of shows how how close Spock and Pike are, that Spock doesn't really even hesitate. He just says, yeah, okay, we can do that. So that's what they do. Spock mind melds with Pike and, you know, essentially reads his mind and sees, you know, the flashbacks of the kids and he sees Pike, you know, burned, you know, all the things that Pike has been seeing for years and realizes that he's not crazy. And so they have a quick discussion and, and Spock makes the suggestion about not changing what he would normally do. He says, now that you know this and that you're in the future, you should not go out of your way to try and change things. You know, if you're just here to, to view this and see that, you know, you need to go along with, you know, the normal routine essentially is what he tells. Right. Him. He's trying to figure out what it is that I do in the future that causes the problem. So he needs to act as he would. So they cut back to the bridge now and they have arrived at outpost four and there is uh, it's in disarray. And it puts the ship uh, sort of, or it puts the bridge at a, on alarm a little bit. And at one point, there's uh, they, there's mentioned, you know, what's the closest other ship in case we need some backup? And uh, it turns out that the USS Farragut is a couple hours away, so there are no uh, ships that are immediately available to help them. But that ship, it is mentioned, that's Laon's ship, is what they say. Right. So there's uh, okay. So that's also worth mentioning. So Laon is not on this ship. Apparently, in this universe, she has her own ship. And um, Spock is number one. It's not Una. Una is not on the bridge of this ship. Yeah. At one point, someone or, or uh, Spock refers to himself as number one. Right. And Pike's a little taken aback, but he doesn't ask at this point where's Una. They. Um, it's, uh, you know, one note I'll I'll give here, you know, I don't think we need to worry about spoilers. Hopefully everybody listening to this has watched the episode, but <laughs> um, we're gonna, uh, we, you know, if you have a super nerd Star Trek level of knowledge at this point, then we know kind of what the jig is for this episode, because this is the plot from that episode, Balance of Terror, from the original series where the Romulans are attacking these bases on the neutral zone. Can you give us uh, and, a summary of that? Because I don't have any recollection of that. Uh, so it's it's the setup is just like this. The Romulans have been attacking these bases on the neutral zone. The Enterprise is sent out there to kind of patrol the area. They end up running across this cloaked Romulan ship that is firing this plasma weapon at the outpost and, and destroys one. And then they pursue it in, into the neutral zone uh, to basically kind of go, hey, you can't get away with, you can't just get away with this. We're not going to, we're not going to let you come and attack us with impunity. And Kirk, you know, violates his orders by crossing into the neutral zone. Uh, and then they have this kind of cat and mouse game in a nebula and they end up kind of fighting to a standstill. And the Enterprise makes contact with that other ship and Kirk kind of says, Hey, look, this, we're not getting anything out of this. We're just killing each other. Let's just agree to go back to our own sides of the neutral zone and call it a day. And the other ship uh, responds on screen. They see the Romulans for the first time. It's this big reveal. They're all shocked. Spock is shook because he didn't, you know, the Vulcans didn't know about this. And uh, they basically say he does the eyebrow raise. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, 
And uh, the Romulans basically say, hey, okay, we'll take your deal, but just know that we're we're back, baby. We're we're a power in the quadrant again, and uh, we're not just going to sit quietly for another hundred years. So you're going to hear from us soon. And then that's the end of the episode. So the the fact that this is the plot of that episode, but Pike is captain of the Enterprise, tells us that that right there is the thing that has changed, that Kirk is not captain of the Enterprise at this point, but Pike is. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, actually. Do you remember that or did you have to look that up? No, I remembered that. I mean, seriously, what uh, did you have a memory? It blows me away, your memory. I mean, well, seriously, you, well, it's been 20 dude, years since you've seen that, right? Like, how do you no, remember? Like, I, the pl- I watched through the original series maybe five years ago, something like oh, that. Okay. But, but that's also probably my favorite episode of the original series. So I, I remember it pretty well. Okay. Um, I, I don't have that level of remembrance of 90% of the th- original series episodes. Okay, fair it enough. It just happens to be one that I know really well. I just was curious if you had a freakish memory or not. No. That, but that's a great way to, to utilize uh, a, a prequel, a series, and time travel at the same time. I, I don't know if right. I've seen something like that before, but... They're they're done, they're telling the same story from a different point of view or with you know, a minor change. Yeah, they've yeah. done stuff like this before. Not, I mean, this one's a lot more heavy, but like uh, DS Nine did that episode where they have to go back in time to the trouble with Tribbles. Okay, and uh, it's you know we're seeing the same stuff happen, but from the perspective of the DS Nine characters and oh right right they're trying to you know keep the original folks from figuring out what's going on and, and deal with the same situation. Anyway, they, they've done stuff like that before, but um, this is a little different where it's, you know, if, if you didn't know about that original series episode, you, you'd be fine. You don't need to know about it to enjoy this one. Um, it's, but if you do, there's a bit more going on here for you. I did not know about that episode, that original series episode and i really enjoyed this episode so yeah like you yeah. said it's it doesn't but it does kind of give away the game right out of the gate that the change is that pike is captaining the enterprise here rather than kirk sure and that's why things are going to go south all right so uh, to circle back to the episode um the outpost contacts them because you know they have arrived and the outpost is really messed up um, he mentions uh, that the deflector shields were on maximum, but it didn't do anything. Like they, whatever weapon that these Romulans had, basically just destroyed the whole base. Like there's just nothing left. And you know, right as he's explaining, you know how powerful the Romulans are, we see a, cro- a cloaked Romulan warbird. It, uh, it uncloaks and fires and basically destroys what's left of the outpost has a pretty big shockwave as it explodes everywhere. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. And it was an, it's a non-standard Star, uh, Star Trek weapon. You know, normally you see phasers or, or torpedoes. This is a, clearly an energy weapon. I think they, they call it a plasma weapon. Yeah. So it, it looks and behaves a little. This is a new weapon, I should say. Yeah. And real quick, I want to make a note here. This is kind of the one, the, the space battle uh, portion of the episode is mostly over at this point. I want to say they did some really cool stuff with just the geometry, I guess you'd say, of of a, a three-dimensional space in this episode. We had a lot of shots where uh, the various ships and bases and whatnot are, are not perfectly aligned with each other. 
This, you know, in sp- in space, if two ships come upon each other, they're not going to be oriented perfectly. In you know, they're oh, one of right. going to be you know at, at whatever twenty seven degrees off and tilted a different direction. I mean, they're just they're never going to. That always kind of bugged me about right. Uh, you know, whenever they they encounter anybody, they're they're perfectly oriented with each other for the shot. But in this case, we see um, in the begin the start of the episode, we have the two Federation ships orbiting the base and they're not in line with each other. They're kind of askance from each other. Uh, we see that as uh, the enterprise comes in to uh, return to the base here before it gets destroyed that, you know, it's not perfectly upright. If that makes sense, it's, mm-hmm. it's off center a bit. So I just like that they were getting creative with the visuals here and not having the same old, everything's in two dimensions. I didn't catch that, but that is a really good point. Yeah. Um, Spock makes mention, um, that because they are at this point, they are unfamiliar with cloaking technology and Spock, uh, essentially tells the audience, but he, he tells the bridge crew, but he's really telling the audience, he's like, Oh, it's kind of weird that they had to uncloak to shoot, you know, why not just shoot cloaked? So, I mean, just to clarify, if, if you're not familiar, um, it's just the Romulans that have cloaking technology, at least originally, right? I mean, it's not a a Klingon or a Federation thing. Um, and the Romulan, just the way the cloaking technology works is they are unable to fire their weapons while they are cloaked. So they have to uncloak temporarily, make themselves vulnerable, shoot, and then cloak again. Right. The outpost is basically completely destroyed at this point. Right about then the USS Farragut contacts them. And we see that James T. Kirk is the captain of that ship. And he offers help. Um, so there is a discussion about what they're going to do now because the Romulans have cloaked again and they can't see them and they can't pick them up on sensors. And Spock mentions that they might be able to detect them based on the light refraction of, of the stars going around the ships or through the ships. So they're, they're trying to figure out if they can track these guys. And, um, and this was something I, I didn't remember I certainly didn't remember was that they, I think Spock says that the cloak may work both ways, meaning we can't see them, but they can't see out that they're, they're essentially flying blind. Yeah. He says that the cloak probably takes so much power that they're not able to utilize their sensors very well while it's operating. So yeah, that's the speculation is that they, they can't see, I mean, they, they have an idea of what's around because, you know, they know what's in the vicinity before they cloak, but then they can't see anything in real time. So they know where that asteroid was and they know what its trajectory was. And in theory, they know where it is right now. But if somebody came along and blew it up, they wouldn't know that. I mean, so you could set a course cloak and then, you know, come out of cloak every couple of minutes just to check that you're on course. Yeah. Or, or just, well, you'd know, I mean, you know, you know your course, you know your trajectory, you know where the various objects in space are around you when you go into cloak. So as long as something doesn't happen to alter one of those objects or the trajectory, you know where everything is. I, I believe that cloaking technology, at least canonically, you cannot go into you can't go to warp while cloaked either. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Does that theory get um get nixed later on because because of the the flanking that they do is that maybe a theory that's that's kind of not true well or... again this is the first time that i've seen where the romulans are not able necessarily 
to see outbound. So I'm wondering if perhaps that's just Spock guessing and guessing incorrectly, maybe. No, I mean that's that's what this the case was in the uh in the original series episode as well. Mm. Uh it's just that this is the early form of the technology. So it's it's not seen in the original series much at all and then in next generation it's I can't remember how many what it's 80 years later or something like that. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, and then that that's, you know, the timeline where most of our knowledge of the cloaking technology comes from and at that point it's better. And yeah, well, they basically do everything except fire their weapons when they're cloaked. There's just one point later in the episode where the Romulans get the jump on them because of their this kind of theory that they assume that they don't know where they are, you know? Yeah. Uh, right. Fails. So I'm wondering if... It, it's not they real don't, clear. They don't really explain how the Romulans knew where they were versus if they just guessed or... Yeah, they, they, they don't go into that, so... Well, they're trying to decide what they're going to do. Like, are they going to attempt to pursue this Romulan ship? Are they going to, you know, run because this thing outguns them? And uh, I think it's an interesting moment. As soon as they get, you know, uh, Kirk shows up, they hail him. He says, hey, here I am. I'm here to help out. And then uh, as soon as they get off the call, Pike says, somebody get Sam Kirk to my, to the, my ready room right now. And so we get a scene with him basically grilling Sam Kirk about, hey, what's your brother's deal? Can I trust him? Is he, it just, it was, it was pretty interesting. He's asking some pretty loaded questions yeah. about a fellow captain. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he basically asks him how crazy or, or unhinged is your brother because, you know, I've heard some stories and I'm maybe, I don't want to know what I'm getting myself into. Uh, Sam Kirk's line is he does like to bend the rules sometimes. And then he pauses and he says, no more like all the time. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Cause, um, the whole Kirk is a maverick who breaks the rules and just does whatever he wants is really more of a movie Kirk thing in the original series episodes. Kirk's pretty by the book. Like, um, in particular, this episode, Balance of Terror, where he follows this uh, Romulan warbird into the neutral zone against orders. Uh, Spock is kind of like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, this isn't like you. You don't you don't do this kind of thing. And Kirk says, yeah, like, I'm not I'm not wild about this. I, I, I'm not comfortable <laughs> breaking chain of command. But, you know, the situation dictates that we do this. So so here we go. But he's not cavalier about it he's like yeah i probably shouldn't be doing this this isn't great i don't like this but i just don't have no i have no choice i have to there there's a discussion uh about what they're gonna do or whether or not they're gonna follow this uh, romulan ship or not and whether or not they're gonna attack it if they do follow it and there's mention that they cannot attack this Romulan warbird at all because that would be considered a declaration of war. And if they did that, then Starfleet would consider them being the Enterprise uh, expendable, which seems really kind of crazy to me. Like this, you're, this enemy you haven't seen in 100 years, but it's clearly an enemy of the Federation, comes out of nowhere. And at this point, they've blown up at least one outpost, but probably a couple, and right. attacked you. 
and you're basically saying I can't defend myself. Otherwise, it's going to be a declaration of war, and I'm you're going to yeah, leave can't, me can't out here. Provoke these guys, and if we do, then you know, yeah, Starfleet's going to just disavow us and claim that we weren't acting on behalf of of the Federation. And yeah, this whole like Pike desperate for peace thing is a bit much in this situation where he, you know, it'd be one thing if they had reports of people attacking these outposts and they weren't quite sure yet what was happening, but. You know, when they just literally saw them destroy this Federation outpost and murder uh, who knows how many Federation citizens, the idea that he's he's like, oh, we don't want to don't want to start an incident here. (laughs) It's a little bit weird. I mean, they've got it essentially recorded. I mean, on their ship's computer. So you could easily take that to Starfleet and go, look, this is what we're dealing with. Right. I kind of had the opposite take, like completely opposite. I thought. Yeah, it's a hundred year war and we know that they're hostile. What what good is it to just attack and 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 go that avenue? Why not try diplomacy, which doesn't seem to be an option that has been tried at all? Um that seemed that mm. seemed more wise to me than than just attacking. Well, I mean the, they're shooting at them. That's it's kinda hard to have negotiations when you're being shot at. Well, but then you trigger, you know, war, right? Yeah. Pike well, disagrees with you, Ben. I mean, he he okay. clearly wanted to try diplomacy. So. Right. No, I mean, I I totally get the idea that you want to try to not trigger war, but you've they've already triggered war. They just killed a whole bunch of people. Like any, yeah, any government would be at war at that point. There's no going back from that. Yeah, but you know that's not how it actually happens. A lot of times. Things get overstepped, and you know, not like that, dude. If somebody, well, if somebody blew up a U.S. military installation, we'd be at war. Oh, right. I mean, did I mean that's what what happened with Pearl Harbor, right? I mean, they bombed a couple of submarines. Oh well, they did more than that. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, as far as they killed several thousand sailors and sank most of our fleet, but it was it was zero discussion. It was like, all right, we're going to war. Like this is it, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, I mean, uh, to tie into current events here, I mean, that's one of the reasons that the the NATO countries are so reluctant to, you know, they'll they'll give Ukraine weapons, but they're not going to put any forces on the ground there, because if any of them get attacked, that's it, we're at war. Yeah. So they make mention they pick up a signal that's beamed off, or that's reflected off this comet, that they don't believe the Romulans wanted them necessarily to see. Um, right about then, um, so... Uh, James T. Kirk beams on board because, uh, or James, he, so, and they're all in the meeting room and then they're discussing what they're going to do with the Romulans. Cause now they have two ships. They have James, they have the, the Farragut and the enterprise. And, you know, are they going to pursue this? Are they going to flank them? What are they going to do? And they pull up this message that they found and we see it's, it's a visual message and uh, you see that the Romulans look very similar visually to Vulcans and Spock is surprised to see that and makes mention of that, actually. Yeah, everybody kind of turns to look at Spock like, what the hell, man? And he gives the eyebrow. Um, yeah, and they're they're immediately pretty taken aback by that. And there's some kind of discussion about what, you know, did you know about this? And Spock says, no, I had no idea. Um, it's worth It's worth noting that, I mean, the the Vulcans are known for being a, a peaceful people and a logical people. And they're very, and, and the Vulcans are pretty much the direct opposite. They're very rash and violent. 
So the, the dichotomy there is seeing these two people that look very similar, but are, you know, uh, diametrically opposed in their actions. Right. And as it starts, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it gets heated, but it's getting a little tense for sure. And uh, Kirk, to his credit, says, you know, hey, hold on here. We don't we don't even know for sure that they didn't intend for us to see that. Maybe they're just trying to foster resentment and and drive a wedge between these two founding members of the Federation. Or maybe they did, you know, doesn't one of them mention that maybe they purposely leaked this thinking that we wouldn't know and then it would you know, it would destabilize us. Yeah. So there's, there's some and that's back what and Kirk forth. Says is, you know, yeah, maybe they leaked this so that it would, yeah. uh, you know, so distrust between humans and Vulcans. Do you know the, the background of the Romulans, Ben? Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're former call, you know, there was a colony of Vulcan that basically broke away and did their own thing. When the Vulcans turned to logic, they just kept doing their warrior culture thing. I, I looked it up. Uh, so the Romulans were biological cousins of the Vulcans, and they, they had their own home planet. They had the planet Romulus, whereas the Vulcans' home planet was Vulcan. Um, so they are genetically similar. Like you said, I think they're an offshoot. Um, and they are essentially, they are descended from those who rejected Surak's reforms. Do you know who Surak was? Yeah, he's, I mean... He's Shut up, you founder. do not, really. Yeah, I know, I do. He's mentioned oh a lot. God. He's the... He's the founder of the Vulcan society based on logic. So, oh my gosh, I'm 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 impressed. I'm not I'm not going to lie. I'm just impressed. Yeah. So way back when the Vulcans had this had an empire, basically they had a a spacefaring culture that was conquering other races, and then Surak started this movement to switch to logic. Everybody on Vulcan went along with that, but some of the folks, you know, kind of out on the edges of the of the empire, I guess you would say. We're like, no, nah, we're not down with that. We're going to start our own deal. So then they have their their new home planet of Romulus and start the Romulan Empire. According to the internet, Surak was a legendary Vulcan philosopher, science scientist, and logistic, logistician. He's considered the greatest of all who ever lived on Vulcan and the father father of modern Vulcans civilization so yeah he's and apparently very persuasive because he convinced everybody to stop being uh so emotional and just be a, a person of pure logic i don't know how well that would go down in most cases i mean that the whole idea of being purely logical i mean it's great in theory but like i just the idea of not being emotional at all when it's such a natural reaction you know it's yeah. no one chooses to be emotional you know no one chooses to get angry or sad you know what i mean like it's to 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 cut that off would be like you said it would be real that'd be a tough sell yeah well it's 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 futile everything comes down to subjectivity and like experience and you know I, not not everything is a math equation like at, at one point so they're all sitting around this table discussing what they're going to do and um Umbenga questions uh, whether or not he, he questions attacking them because that would be an act of war. And I wrote down, why is Umbenga here? Like, I mean, yeah. I get it. He's the doctor and he's like a high up official, but I mean, this is, you know, this is a tactical mission. I don't know what he really has, what input he really has here. I don't recall other Star Treks where, you know, Crusher is planning missions or, you know, well, he had a 10-episode contract. That's why he's here. You think that? Yeah? Okay. That could be it. Well, he had a couple scenes in 
in sickbay. He didn't. Anyway, I just thought it was weird that the doctor was there talking about whether or not they're going to go to war. But whatever. Yeah, you're right. Crusher isn't in those meetings in Next Generation. You're trying to think like, I mean, like Cisco never defers to Bashir, right? I mean, Kirk never defers to uh, Bones. Uh, no, he does. But that's that's a different situation where, um, you know, the, the Star Trek shows after the original are much more of a, you know, it's a much more collaborative workplace. You know, they they get the crew, you know, they have a conference room, they get together and discuss things. Whereas in uh, the original series, you know, Kirk's the captain, and he's calling all the shots. There's not much discussion. Uh, I mean, he asks Spock for, you know, what, what are your sensors saying? And then he says, all right, this is what we're going to do. And that's it. Um, but McCoy is, you know, that they've been friends for a long time. And he's not you know, he's just, a, I'm just a country doctor, damn it. So yeah. he's not terribly impressed with chain of command or Kirk's authority. So McCoy is kind of the foil to Kirk's, you know, by the book, Captain Authority figure. So he, he's kind of the, I guess the, I don't know, the conscience of, of the enterprise in the original series, something like that. Yeah. That's probably a good description. So he's he's got a different role, and, and you know he's one of the three stars of the show too. Whereas the the doctor has more of a background uh, role in the future shows. So from a from a military like a hierarchy point of view, it seems weird to me that the doctor would be there. That, that's the only yeah. point I was making. Well, um, they don't have a, a counselor, Deanna Troy, to like give the. Right. You know, the, the yeah, dovish. Right. You know, that's a good point. I mean, Deanna Troy was involved in a lot of that stuff and, and, and Crusher wasn't, but whatever. Um, so they're going around the table, essentially talking about, you know, what they're going to do and everybody's getting their, their vote in. And Spock of all people says that he thinks that they should attack this ship. And his line is uh, Vulcan like earth had its aggressive colonizing period, savage, even by human standards. So even everyone at the table is kind of surprised that that Spock of all people would say this. But what he's what what Spock is saying is that, look, these guys are so violent. If we don't take them out now, we're going to regret it later. Like this, there's no negotiating with these people. Well, and he he specifically says that their their whole outlook is one of strength over weakness. And so logically, if we show if we show them anything but strength, they're going to just use that as an excuse to attack us again. Right. Uh, James uh, Kirk suggests a pinch, a pincer attack. They, uh, they mentioned that they're going to be flying through the tail of this comet up ahead. And they think that they will see reflections um, of the ship in the tail of the comet. And they can use that to determine exactly where the ship is. So they are going to, uh, they're going to do a pincer attack. They're going to attack from both sides. Um, uh, Kirk and Pike agree to neutralize and not destroy the Romulan ship. Uh, Kirk clearly wanted to destroy it. Pike wants to, uh, he wants to negotiate with them, but they agree to meet in the middle and neutralize the ship instead of destroying it. Um, Right. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. They get up to the comet and they're expecting the Romulan ship to fly through the tail and disrupt the, you know, and it doesn't show up. And ultimately what ends up happening is the Romulans have outsmarted them and they uh, uncloak behind the Farragut and they open fire on the Farragut and the Farragut just gets pretty boned. Um, there's not a whole lot left of it. I mean, it's it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, a big they, chunk of the saucer sections blown up and it's not in good shape. Yeah, so I, I think Kirk gets on, he, you know, he yells at... Uh, 
at Pike, you know, hey, you know, come help me out, start shooting, you know, do whatever. And I made mention, uh, or I, I noted that the the phasers that the Enterprise shoots in this, they are not like traditional like laser style light phasers no. that I've seen in the other shows. They look a lot more like Star Wars phasers, and it had a different yeah. sound, and they traveled A to B instead of just being like a, a straight line of light. Did you notice that? Yeah, that's from the J.J. Abrams movies. They okay. kind of redesigned the effect to be yeah, more like a a Star Wars blaster than a a beam like you like you're talking about. So yeah, that we're getting these different style phasers that I mean, granted they they look cooler, they sound cooler. I'll give them that. I didn't have a problem with it. I just noted that it was different than I was expecting, right? I mean, if you've watched any right. Next Generation or Void, you know, any of the other shows, I mean, the phasers always look very. Yeah, it's know. it's a continuous beam like a laser yep. rather than uh, a, a projectile. The Enterprise uh, fires at the Romulan ship. They they kind of hit it in a glancing shot. You know, they do some damage to it, but nothing crazy. And then the uh, Romulan ship shoots its plasma weapon and hits the Enterprise. Um. And they make, I think Pike is surprised, you know, why are we still, uh, that that should have destroyed us. You know, we saw that same weapon hit the outpost and it destroyed it. Why are we still flying? And they they they, they uh, suggest that perhaps it was because the, the weapon was fired at distance and perhaps it's not as uh, um, deadly at yeah. distance. Yeah, so it dissipates the farther away you are. The, I think at one point, uh, Kirk, or they scan the Farragut and they determine that it's a lost cause and that the Farragut has five minutes of life support left and then the ship is just going to be um, completely uninhabitable. So they race to beam everyone off the Farragut on board the Enterprise. We see a scene where La'an beams on board in the, the, in the transporter room and she immediately like hugs Pike. Oh, and her hair is down. It's not up yeah. in the traditional kind of like conservative um uh Laon that we've we see in this season. Yeah, and she seems a lot more relaxed. Yeah, and she's I think she hugs Pike and Pike is kind of taken aback because, you know, she's not a uh, warm yeah, and he's fuzzy. Like, he's like, Who are you and what have you done with Laon? And yeah, and I, I'm not sure where this comes from, but but Pike asks about Una. He says, when was the last time you talked to Una? I mean, so he must realize that she's not on the Enterprise, so she's not in this timeline. I don't know yeah, why he, he decides to ask hasn't asked anybody Una. yet. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why all of a sudden he asks her. It's a little strange. I mean, there was that scene in the, the pilot where she, La'an and Una were friends, and they'd known each other, and Pike was surprised. So maybe he's drawing the connection that they're friends in this universe, too. Anyway, the point is, is that... Laon says that uh, Una isn't allowed any contact. So there's no more explanation yet, but uh, Una is uh, off the grid. Yeah. We see uh, Pike and James Kirk in his ready room, and uh, Kirk is angry. He thinks that uh, Pike kind of messed up that mission and that that he i think what he says he says you flinched and you weren't aggressive enough there was you know like a 1 second delay and that let the the romulans get the jump on us and you know it ultimately ended up you know in the destruction of my ship and he's kind of getting in pike's face and he's clearly not happy yeah which doesn't really jive with what we saw right like it it didn't look like there was some opportunity to prevent that that the enterprise didn't take 
So I'm not sure exactly what Kirk's point is here. I do think Pike has an, a great line because because Kirk is hot and he's getting in his face, and Pike takes it and then he looks at him in the eye after you know he takes a, a breath and he goes, "We may have different points of view, but do not question my combat readiness, Captain." So he's he's telling he's telling Kirk like, "Hey, I, don't get in my face. I did what I had to do." Yeah, and Kirk says something along the lines of, you know, hey, well, you know, clearly one of us is more willing to take, you know, we're, we just have a difference of opinion about our tactics. And and uh, Pike says, well, if you mean that you're more willing to take risks, I'll grant you that. But I'm also the one who still has a ship. Yeah, his line is, if you're saying you're more willing to take risks than I am, I don't disagree. And let me remind you that you're saying that on my ship after yours has been destroyed. Yeah, one, one ouch. <laughs> Right, that's, that's rough because it just happened. Right, too soon. Uh, but also, yeah, I, I don't think we're at least from what I saw, there was no way for Kirk to avoid that. You know, the Romulan shows up right behind him, blasts him. What I mean, what's he supposed to do? I mean, I think it's just Kirk being hot. Yeah, I know, but I mean, Pike's Pike's slamming him for you know, but Kirk didn't take a risk there. They came up with a plan together. And they were executing it as they okay. agreed to. Kirk didn't do any, you know, crazy maverick thing. And then it just it went bad and he lost his ship. But it wasn't because he took some stupid risk. So it's just a weird thing to say. Yeah. I, I did. I, I just wrote down. I did like that Pike stood up for himself and he was like, look, dude. Sure. You know, you want to go in guns blazing. That's not my style. But don't get in my face when it doesn't work. So, yeah. No, I mean, and Kirk's out. They're basically they're both out of line here. Kirk's more out of line because yeah, he yeah. comes in going like, "What's your problem? You didn't engage him." Yeah. And Pike's kind of like, "I don't know what you're talking." I'm like, what was I supposed to do? I like the second that I had a chance to do anything, I did. I started shooting at him. What more do you want? Um, let's yeah. let's uh, take a vote right now. Who, who's Team Pike? Oh, oh man, that's uh, tough. <laughs> oh, you mean in this argument or just in general? In general. Oh, in general, definitely Team Pike. He's a great captain. Kirk is uh, no, he's, he's too hot. I think I'm Team Kirk. Really? Yeah, I'll, I'll get more into why in a bit here. But um, <laughs> so yeah, the the other thing though is not only did Pike respond by shooting at the Romulans, but he's warned by uh, I I can't remember if it's Spock or or Tegas or someone who basically says, "Hey, we're so far away right now that if you start shooting at them, you might hit the Farragut." Right, and Pike. Pike still says, "Nope, go ahead and shoot." So uh, he's willing to take a risk there and open fire on the Romulans, even though there's a chance he might hit the Federation ship. So I, I, I gotta say, Kirk's in the wrong here, claiming that Pike wasn't willing to engage and take some risks. What we, well, yeah, Kirk, Kirk. That's what that's what Kirk was scolding him for was hesitating in in that instance where he might. You know, right, but it target, didn't. Right? I mean, it sure didn't seem like he did. He, yeah, but he hesitated, and that's the that's the main gripe he has is that he hesitated half a moment. Right, he hesitated after the Farragut was already basically destroyed. It was like, well, right, but and frankly, yeah. I don't know. I mean, how does how does Kirk even know he hesitated if he did? Like, yeah, that's a good point yeah. because from his point of view, right. Anyway, yeah, it just was a weird. It was just a weird. I feel like they needed to have a different scenario where there was an opportunity to attack that Pike didn't take, but
but Kirk did, but in the process, then the Farragate gets destroyed. And then, then you can have this conversation and this conflict. But when they followed the plan exactly that they set up, and then Pike's given Kirk flack about losing his ship, and Pike's given or and Kirk's given Pike flack about not engaging when he did engage. It just it didn't it was weird. Yeah, that's fair. I wanted to just shake both of them and go, like, none of you are making any sense here. <laughs> the the next thing we see, we cut to the bridge and uh Pike decides to send the Romulans a hail. He asks Uhura to raise them in a hail. And Uhura kind of looks, she's like, really? Like, they haven't answered any of our hails yet. Why would they answer now? Because, I mean, they just kicked our butts, essentially. It's mentioned that the Warbird has been damaged because the Enterprise did hit it. And it is spitting out trilithium fragments now. So that is definitely something that the Enterprise can track. You know, it's essentially leaving an oil slick behind that they can they can track it easily now. Um, the, the Romulans respond to the hail, uh, which is a little bit surprising. And Pike offers the Romulans a two-hour ceasefire. The Romulans kind of go back and forth on whether or not they're going to do it. You know, they make mention that this, this is what makes humans weak, is that they don't just immediately attack. But they agree. And so they decide, because both ships are pretty damaged, that they're going to take two hours to stop and think and repair their ships and then come back in two hours and figure out what they want to do. Ortegas has a line here where after the screen, the view screen is down, um, she's really hot. And she says that we can't let them get away. You know, I don't know. We don't have a whole lot of ships. You know, the phasers are, you know, not the best right now, but this is our only chance. We need to go after them and take them out now. And she kind of pushes that with Pike and, and Pike full on yells at her. Well, first he, he just says, Hey, you know, no, we're going yeah, right. to take a minute here. And she says, she, you know, he kind of basically says, Hey, you know, cool it. It's, you know, we're not, that's not what we're going to do. He keeps his cool. And then she, she doubles down. She, yes. you know, she turns around from her console and says, you know, you can't trust them. You have to attack them now. And then, yeah, he, he kind of loses it. And he full on puts her in his, in her place. And he yeah. says, Erica stand down. And then she, you know, re- then she does, but I, I just yeah, made he, note that that was a really powerful. He he yells at her. I mean, it's he doesn't <laughs> just say it loud. He he yells at her, um, and part of me was going like, "Yeah, you're really pushing it here. You're you're openly questioning the captain's orders on the bridge. That's right. not a good yeah, not a good move." But he's also, you know, you're also on first name basis with them, and he's calling you Erica, and you're calling him Chris. So yeah, I'm not surprised that that uh, you know the unit discipline's a little bit low here, Pike. <laughs> What we see, there's a quick cut to the Romulan ship, so they are on this two-hour ceasefire, and they're debating about what they're going to do. The captain wants to repair the engines, and the second-in-command wants to repair the the weapon systems and then go after the Enterprise. So there's a little back and forth here. Ultimately, the, the captain wins out, and they decide to repair the engines. Yeah, and we get the sense that he's, um, you know, he's not necessarily afraid of conflict, but he's definitely leery about starting a major conflict with the Federation. Yes. He doesn't, you know, he's not afraid to go and do some raids on the outposts and, and blow some stuff up, but he doesn't want an all out war. He's, he seems to sense that, you know, you guys are kind of bloodthirsty for this, but it's not going to go as well as you think it's gonna. Um, and his second in command is, so basically we have the parallel here of 
Pike and Erica and uh, this Romulan captain and his his first officer, where uh, the the younger folks are screaming for blood, and the more seasoned officers are going like, "Hey, you know, we're going to do our duty here, but let, if we can avoid starting a war, let's do that." Oh, I didn't put that to. Yeah, that's a good point. That the the older, more grizzled, I suppose you could say, captains were much more reluctant than the upstart cadets actually at one point it's worth mentioning doesn't the romulan captain say what is this like your third mission or your third ship like it's it's yeah he points out that this the first in command or the second in command is very green essentially yeah we is this cut- where he talks about his he, he talks to him about his father like his second in command yes and yes. how he worked with his father and had a mission and um and kind of something he learned from where his fa- you know his father died type thing. Yeah, it's it's his uncle and he says that, you know, he served with him and he was the second in command on a ship and his commander was a fool and made this reckless attack that gained them nothing and they died for nothing. But uh the I don't think I don't know if we ever get a name for Romulan second in command dude who's on this ship here, but uh, he basically says, "Well, you know, they they were attacking. That's what they should have done. It doesn't really matter whether they died or not. That's you know you always got to attack. Yeah, I I really appreciated this this kind of behind the scenes or behind the curtain of this bad the bad guys the baddies you know, um and the culture there. You can tell it's a very aggressive culture. They're very you know hawkish. Right. Um, but you know there's still conversation. They're not just like blindly. Um, attacking like animals, they they actually have some. Yeah, they're not just bloodthirsty monsters. Like he's got he's got a plan here. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's there's uh, in that I'm going to keep banging this drum, but in that original series episode that that this is based on, uh, there's a similar dynamic where the Romulan commander is wanting to try to avoid this all out war, and his uh, second command keeps pushing him to. You know, we gotta we gotta attack, we gotta attack, we gotta attack. So that that whole dynamic is from that original episode as well. Um, fun fact: the uh, actor who plays the Romulan commander in that episode is uh, Mark Leonard, who would go on to play Sarek, Spock's father. Oh, interesting. So his first his first Star Trek role was as this Romulan commander, and then uh, yeah, apparently the producers liked him because he came back as Spock's father in a recurring role after that. There's a lot of that, like, I want to say, like, incestual, you know, actors that have that. I mean, didn't uh, Tim Russ was on one of the original movies and he went on to play Tuvok. There's a lot of, like, B players that that ended up coming back. So, yeah, that's not uncommon. Yep. Um, We cut to the the ready room and we see um, Pike and Spock and uh, they are debating uh, a little bit about what about the future because Spock knows what's going on and Pike knows but no one else on the enterprise does and they're trying to figure out you know now that they're kind of uh, up in the in the weeds with the Romulans how do they avoid the future's dark path because that was the whole point that um that Pike came to the future to deal with um they they don't have a solution um at one point uh, Pike asks Spock where Una is, and uh, Pike mentions, or I'm sorry, Spock mentions that she's been in a penal colony for seven years. And when asked why, he says for deception. For her deception. 
Pike has jumped seven years into the future. So what we know now is that Una has been in a penal colony for essentially this entire time. And if you'll remember, she was hiding her Allurian ancestry from the Federation. So the implication is that she is that they found her out and that she is basically in jail because of that. Yeah, and not too far from the the our current timeline that young Pike has come from. Right. Um and, and as they're debating this, uh James D. Kirk comes into the ready room and he says he has an idea and he asks to borrow a shuttle. We see a super quick scene, which I thought was kind of, well, we see Spock and he's repairing some phasers and he's in a Jeffrey's tube. He's hanging on this ladder and he's got a scanner out and a soldering iron or I don't know, whatever. And he's talking to uh, someone, presumably in engineering, and the person has a very, very thick Scottish accent. So the implication here being that that's Scotty from the original series we never see him. His name is never mentioned. No, that, that's that's absolutely what they're what they're going for. Is that we've just seen Mister Scott, but yeah, they don't ever mention him by name or anything. But it's him. It, it was just a really quick throwaway scene. It doesn't add anything necessarily to the show, but they do, you know, give Scotty a little shout out. It was a cool nod. Yep. We cut back to the bridge, and uh, I believe uh, it's Uhura mentions that it's been two hours. And, you know, so the the two captains need to come back together and figure out what they're going to do. In in the meantime, they've clearly been repairing the ships. Um, So they get back together on the view screens and they have a little chat and Pike offers the Vulcans peace. He's like, basically, he says, you know, we've been at war for 100 years. You know, what has it gotten us? You know, I, I, I get it. This is, you know, in your DNA that you guys are aggressive, but w- nobody is winning this. Like, what? why are we doing this? We've been doing this for so long, and and we haven't got anywhere. And uh, actually, the to his credit, the Vulcan captain says, I too tire... Romulan. What did, oh, yes, sorry. Um, yes, he, the, the Romulan captain says, I too tire of endless war. So you get the impression, perhaps, that maybe this captain realizes and and he's sort of on Pike's side and perhaps, you know, they were going to attempt peace or at least go their separate ways without killing each other. But right about then, basically a hundred Vulcan ships, I keep saying Vulcan, Romulan ships jump in and basically, you know, surround everyone. Um, So clearly uh, they have different ideas or um, that's the impression is that maybe this was a trap. And then it cuts to the the Romulan ship and he was like, Whoa, how did the Romulan fleet get the captain is confused. Cause he's like, I didn't tell the, the Romulan fleet what was going on. How did they get here? And essentially the second in command says, I alerted them because you weren't doing what you needed to as a captain. So I let them know what was going on. And now they are here basically to help us out because you weren't willing to make that, make that hard call. And uh, the, the older captain he he mentions he's like I remember a time without war, endless war is pointless. So what basically what he's saying is like I'm I'm an old guy. I remember what it was like before there was war. You're a young guy. Your entire life has been war. You don't know any different. So this is just what you're used to. You know he's you know implying again that the older grizzled captains you know perhaps are a little wiser and they don't necessarily aren't as bloodthirsty as the young guys. Yeah, they're not. They're not in it for ego or glory. He's just like, look, we can't win this. There's no point to this. Cut back to the bridge and the enterprise is hailed by the Romulan flagship. 
and uh, it's it's a woman, and they refer to her as the Praetor, and she basically demands the surrender of the Enterprise. And it's looking pretty grim at this point because it's just the Enterprise and a hundred Romulan ships. Like it's not even going to be close, and the Enterprise is already damaged. So right about then, you see basically a hundred Federation ships jump in. So they're kind of facing off. You know, you got the the Federation on the left and the Romulans on the right. And well, you know, <clears throat> uh, sorry, right before this, I wanted to highlight. Uh, some lines Pike says here, sure, which I, I think are great. When the prayer to your lady, she says, "I accept your unconditional surrender," and then Pike says, "Nice to meet you too." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this is a classic Pike line. You still, you know, you still get like the intensity of the moment, but he has that layer of the charm that can't right. be like, you know, disturbed. It, it's it's great. Yeah. yeah, he's unflappable. Like he realizes he's going to get. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, at one point she says something about, again, you know, something about surrender or something like that. And he says, well, you know, well, that's not going to happen, but, you know, we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> so we see these hundred Federation ships jump in, and it's not clear exactly what they are. I mean, they're, you know, they're not, they don't all look like the Enterprise or ships that we recognize, but. It's now a hundred against a hundred, so it's at least right. not a hundred to one. But we we know these aren't Starfleet vessels. Starfleet vessels all pretty much look the same. It, it happened so quick, I didn't really put two and two together. They're really boxy, and yeah. they just they look nothing like a, a Federation starship. So. I mean, they very quickly explain it, and and basically it's Kirk, and he's taken the shuttle out to what's left of these outposts, and the implication is that he's taken remote control of all these mining ships. And uh, he's brought them back, you know, to to basically he's, he's bluff. Got a fleet, fleet of of uh, it's he's got the merchant marine going. Yes. So he does have a good point. He says, you know, hey, we haven't seen the Romulans in a hundred years. They don't know what our ships look like anymore. So maybe we can bluff them with this long enough that maybe we can get away. Right about then, the the Romulans actually end up uh, turning on the the main ship. Um, that had the grizzled captain on it. And yeah, P- Pike, you know, gets back in touch with the Praetor and he says, Hey, okay, well, now that the odds are even, let's talk here. You know, we don't need to fight, but we've got you cold. You know, we've got proof that you violate, you know, you violated the neutral zone and blown up this outpost. And uh, you guys are talking about our surrender, but, uh, you know, you guys have already committed an act of war and we can prove it. And so then he sends her a copy of the video. And she says, okay, well, okay, then it's time for a culling. And, you know, it's like, okay, does that mean she's going to attack them? But then, yeah, we we see pretty quickly what she means is that uh, she's she's sending this uh, ship they were dealing with out in front to be destroyed. Yeah, I think at one point Pike asks, like, what are you doing? What is this? And she says, it's a culling. Yeah, she says that they were they were foolish enough to be detected. And so we're going to make an example of them. Yeah, so basically the entire Romulan fleet fires on this ship and just destroys it. So good job, second in command. That worked out great for you. really did. Um, (laughs) So, you know, while this is happening, there's a minor distraction while they're shooting this this Romulan ship. So uh, the Enterprise, they try and go to warp. They're trying to get out of there because they're going to have a bad day. All they have is mining ships. Um, They can't go to warp. Uh, apparently it's still being repaired. 
so Kirk pulls a maneuver with the the mining ships and he pulls all the mining ships and puts them between the Enterprise and the Romulans just basically to serve as kind of a shield or a physical barrier. Got a layer of cannon fodder. And then they they quickly beam uh, Kirk on board from the shuttle. And then uh, I think Uhura picks up a, a broadcast and she says that the Romulans are broadcasting on all frequencies and she emphasizes all frequencies. And she mentions that it's a declaration of war and it's a really powerful scene and powerful line that the, the Romulans, they, they are, they're going to the mat on this one. They are not happy. Well, and the, the Praetor specifically says, hey, we we really weren't sure what the situation was with the Federation, but now that we've seen that we can just fly in and attack you guys and you're not going to do anything about it, then it's, you know, <laughs> it's a fair game. The, the smorgasbord has been laid out for us and we're going to partake. Right about then, the, the Romulan fleet fires on the Enterprise, and uh, it takes some heavy damage. There's mention of hull breaches on, I think, th- you know, three or four different um, decks. So it, it's looking very dire. At one point, the, the next thing we see is, you know, Pike is kind of shell-shocked, and he, he wanders into sick bay, and you see him walking around, and it's in slow motion. Yeah, well, they've gotten away. They, they are able to, uh, right. to warp out. Um, and then, yeah, we hear that there's been a hit on the weapons bay, and he says, oh, that's where Spock is, right. and so he runs down to sick bay. We So we see Pike in slow motion walking around, freaked out. Not freaked out, shell-shocked. And there's injuries everywhere. I mean, it's just bad news in sick bay. And, you know, he turns a corner, and he sees Spock, and he's badly burned on, you know, the sick bay bed. And Chapel uh, is missing there. a leg. Oh, he was. I didn't. I didn't yeah, do that. one of his legs is has been severed. Uh, his face is severely burned. Uh, he's in bad, bad shape. I, I wrote down that he was dead. <laughs> and yeah, then... I thought he was dead. I mean, he looks. He looks like hell. I think it's supposed to be a similar fate to what it, it Pike is, yeah. had been oh, visioning sure. for himself. Yeah. Well, right about then, Chapel walks up and she basically explains all of Spock's injuries, and there's a litany of them. And, um, but she's visibly upset and she's crying and she basically says, I'm not sure that he will recover from this, but if he does, he will not be the same. Yeah. And, and then we cut from there back to the ready room and we see future Pike and current Pike again. So it's sort of, I guess the end of his time traveling, it it just has come full circle. There's no like quick, flash and he's back there he's just in his ready room again right and future pike looks at current pike and he says i know what you're thinking and current pike responds that i traded my fate for spock's pike is feeling guilty that you know hey yeah i did figure out a way to save those cadets and i did figure out how to save myself but it ended up killing you know my one of my best friends spock right which you could argue maybe that's not a terrible thing you got 11 lives for one you know i, I don't know so sure but before he gets a chance to you know fully debate that for himself you know whether or not that's worth it future pike mentions that spock is the best chance for lasting peace in any timeline because the romulans are back and that's going to be a problem and uh, he says yeah he's the best chance for lasting peace and he's, you know, lying on a bio bed down in sick bay. So Yeah, and he, he says that the the war with the Romulans has killed millions of people and it's still ongoing. 
he makes mention future pike says that every time they change the path you know they're going into the future they're trying to do different things to to you know get some peace and 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 every time they change the path spock ends up dying so that seems to be the uniting thing of all these threads through time and uh future pike says it gets kind of really serious and almost like philosophical here he says he's got things to do fate of the galaxy type things so they're really kind of like setting spock up here to be almost like some sort of like deity kind of thing yeah and pike's you know his message here is you know you're you're doing important things it's not that you don't matter but spock is just more important than either of us so uh you we got to take a bullet for spock is his message yeah and i think it's right about there that Pike realizes that he has to sacrifice himself. There's no avoiding this fate. You know, he, he's going to have to do this. Otherwise it's going to be bad news for everyone, not just him. Right. Right. And we know that's true because we've seen what happens. If Pike is captain of the enterprise instead of Kirk, He's going to go into this, you know, first contact with the Romulans all wishy-washy and show weakness, and they're going to attack and start a war. And so clearly, the only way for Pike to not be captain of the Enterprise is for him to be in a horrible accident and get disfigured and, and ruin his entire life. That's the only way. Because you can't resign from Starfleet. If you do... They just they just phaser you and and tie you up and put you back in the captain's chair. How about just ask for a commission on a different ship? Yeah, you know you can't change ships. Can't do it. <laughs> they don't allow that. You're being sarcastic. Well, I think I mean yeah, I think yeah you're being sarcastic. But I think you know you could make a play that you know he got. It's you know, just uh, insane. Like the only, oh come on has, the only way that you know fine he's like okay in in uh, in six years I'll resign my commission and Kirk can have the Enterprise. I don't need. To. Well, I think that's, I mean, isn't that what Future Pike is saying, though? He says every time we change the path, Spock ends up dying. He right? does, so, but that, yeah. that just doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I think it does. I think he's saying, that, you know, we've tried a bunch of different things, and, and what everything we do, it doesn't work, which is why I came here to tell you that you've got to sacrifice yourself for Spock. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's hard for me to imagine why in the timeline where Pike just quits Starfleet, that it doesn't proceed as if, yeah, I don't get it. Well, maybe, but. maybe something, somebody comes for Spock and, and Pike has to jump in front of the bullet, you know, to save the hinge pin of the universe. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. So th- the next thing we see real quick, we are coming to the end of the episode. Um, we see James T. Kirk comes to the door and he kind of walks in while future Pike and current Pike are talking to each other and it catches Pike off guard. And he says, I was just uh, talking to myself, and uh, and it kind of it was just a, a funny moment. And then um, we see P- Pike uh, goes to the iPad, whatever the little computer thing they have is, and he has the letter to to Mott, uh, the, the cadet that dies on the comp- on his computer, and he deletes the letter. So now that he's seen the future and he realizes that he could save these cadets, he chooses not to. Well, first, him and him and Kirk have a conversation. They uh, they sit on the couch. They pour a drink. They're they're talking, and it's all real friendly. And then Kirk just says, "Hey, you know, it just did it ever occur to you that instead of you know being such a milk toast, you could have you know 
had some balls and this whole thing could have been avoided. Like he just kicks him when he's down. It's really brutal. Well, so, so Kirk is from the future then here. No, it's, this is a weird scene and it's, yeah, it's really strange because so as far as I could tell, what happens here is that Pike is still in the future and then future, even farther future Pike visits him here and they're talking about what's going on. And then Kirk comes in and they have their little conversation at the end of which he touches the time crystal again and, and goes back to his original time. So, oh, wow, it, I did not. Yeah, did not it's it's a little bit. Yeah, it's it's odd. Like at first I thought, oh, OK, he's gone. But, you know, after uh, the scene with Spock and sick bay. And then now he's back in his quarters. I thought, okay, he's re- returned to his original time now, but then Kirk shows up. Yeah. Hmm. So it, it's weird. It, it's a little hard to follow what's happening here, but just, I mean, the important part is that he, he does this, like Scott said, he decides to delete the letter and, and sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. What we see next is we cut to the briefing room and, uh, Pike and Spock are there. And, um, uh, this is, so we're back in the, the present time, and so this is right after Pike has walked out of the meeting, and uh, Spock comes in and he says, "Whoa, that was kind of you know uncharacteristic. Are you feeling okay? You just took off." I, I noticed that it was that right after the boy said his name. Is this related to your future? And yeah. uh, you know, Pike basically says, "Yeah, essentially." His line is, "Some fates are inescapable, and even if I could get out of mine, it might just fall to someone else." Yeah, and he's when Spock first comes in, he says he's very glad to see him. Yeah, and he's also looking at Captain Kirk's like profile on. Yeah, on he's screen. he's Facebook stalking Kirk. Yeah. Oh, he was. I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so the last scene that we see is uh, we see the bridge, and we see Pike walk onto the bridge, and he is just. Well, hang on before before that that end of that scene with Spock. There's there's a pretty touching moment where. Um, yeah, he says, you know, I can't avoid my fate, and even if I could, it would just fall to someone else. And Spock says, well, you know, I, I'm assuming, based on the fact that you just said how glad you were to see me, that I'm the someone else. Mm-hmm. And Pike says, well, yeah. And uh, Spock says, you know, I don't really understand why, but I, I get the feeling I owe you a debt of gratitude. Uh, and they they express that they care deeply for each other. It's it's uh, There's a very bro moment going here. They're, they're hetero life mates. Yeah. The last seat again is on the bridge. Pike walks onto the bridge and he's basically like grinning ear to ear, like kind of creepily, like the, the other members of the bridge crew kind of like look at him like, like, what are you, why are you so happy? You just walked onto the bridge. It's kind of weird. Um, there's a musical overtone here and the song is I'm making memories I'd like to keep. So, you know, there's clearly a reference to, uh, you know, future and past and, and memories. So it was right. Good- and he's going to make the best of it and enjoy life while he can. I mean, I, I get what they were going for, but this is a really odd choice for a song to play over the end of a Star Trek episode. Oh, you think so? I thought it was great. I mean, it's, it's yeah, not particularly just, Star Trekky, but it was a great, you know, just the, the, the lyrics where I thought were great. It, it, yeah. The lyrics fit the moment really well, but just the, the whole style of it was a little jarring to me. It hit me right. I liked it. I liked it. 
I didn't think it was, uh, you know, I didn't think it was, oh man, I can't believe they did that. That was horrible. It wasn't that. It just, it just struck me as a little bit odd. Okay. Well, the very last thing that happens, you know, Pike's walking around the, the bridge happy. And uh, I think Uhura comes on and says that on, on for the comms that um, Captain Battelle is uh, requesting that Pike and Una uh, meet him or she wants to meet him. And so, so she, he wants Pike and Una to meet her at the, the transporter room. And so they, they go to the transporter room real quick. And uh, essentially, uh, Battelle, she apologizes to Pike and she says, I'm sorry, I have to do this. But they take Una into custody and they, you know, they're basically arresting her for hiding her Allurian um, heritage. And uh, so we're we're back to, you know, where this episode kind of started, where Una has been in a concentration camp, not a concentration. She's been in, in prison for seven years. So this is essentially where that starts. I right. did think it was interesting that she brings two guards with her and they walk over and they take Una by the arm. And Una accepts that she doesn't fight back. But no. Pike does. Pike does not want anything to yeah. do with this. And at one point he grabs the guard. He grabs him by the arm. Well, he doesn't even grab him. He he like grabs his hand and like puts him in a in a stress position. Yeah, like full on. Yeah, Pike has now committed assault on a Starfleet officer. And yeah, well, the the guard doesn't even like flinch. He doesn't say right. anything. He just kind of goes limp sort of, which I thought was right. weird like so why Pike's not in the brig at the end of this episode? I'm not sure. Yeah. And then, and then that's it. I mean, ultimately Pike says, you know, he realizes that it's futile and he lets the guard go and they walk away and they, they all beam off and they take Una and then star wipe and that's credits. So the, the there's first, a, there's an interesting shot at the, the very end of the episode ends with a close up shot of Pike, uh, kind of look, kind of, you know, looking determined um, and then he looks directly into the camera for a few seconds, and then it cuts to the credits. You're absolutely right. That was one of the uh, screenshots I sent to your wife because Pike was smoldering there. Yeah, there you go. So that's it. That's the end of this episode, the end of the first season. Um, you know what? I'll go first. Uh, I really liked this episode. There was a, a lot here. There was the, the characters were cool. We got to see some cool ship fights. We got to see the Romulans. You know, and it wasn't just a simple, you know, good versus evil or Romulans are bad. It was, you know, there was some, um, you know, there was some emotion and there was some debate, you know, and there was, yeah, I, I thought, I thought all of the scenes between the, the Romulans and the, and the Federation were good. It wasn't, it didn't go like I was expecting it to where the, the Romulans are just bloodthirsty and they're not willing to right. negotiate and, you know, it's it three-dimensional. Yeah. So uh, overall, I, I really like this episode. I think it, it sets up some major things for season two. Um, so, I mean, Una is going to be gone and Pike now has to accept his fate. And I, I think this was a fantastic ending to the season. I think I said it before on the last episode that of all the episodes in the first season, this one is rated the highest, uh, I think by far. So um, this was a, a rather well-liked episode, and uh, I don't disagree. I give this episode a 9 out of 10. Yeah, this is the only one rated an, a 9. Everything else is uh, 8, 7, or 6. Jason, what about you? We'll let Ben go last, because I know he's got strong feelings. That's fair. Um, I do want to get on record on my rating. 
for the last two episodes since I was sorely missed, I'm sure. Okay. Um, episode eight, I wanted to give pretty high marks, 8.7. I was sick at the time. Um, I had like a fever and it really felt like a fever dream. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is that it, the Elysian Kingdom one? The Elysian. Yes. Or Elysian, yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, but the ending with uh, Mbenga's daughter was heart-wrenching to me. I mean, I, it was out there, but it hit me hard, and I was just kind of like a puddle of mush at the end of that. It was crazy. And so, yeah, for, for the two people listening to this that don't know us, uh, Jason, you've got two daughters. So, yeah, that yeah, I'm oh, yeah, sure yeah, that absolutely. hit pretty hard. <laughs> So I, I eight point seven for that. Um, the oh, alien, wow. epi- the, the obvious alien homage episode. I give a six point three. Um, wow. It, it may be you know similar to other episodes in in the series is, but points removed for for like being unoriginal. Points removed for killing Hammer. You know, pretty low rating for me. It did, didn't do much. Yeah, we we trashed it pretty hard for both of those reasons as well. But that that episode was rated very highly. I rated it high. I liked that episode, but Ben Ben was not a big fan. So that's it's probably my least favorite episode of the season. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Jason, what do you think about this one? What's um, your rating? Okay, so I I loved Pike getting like a central uh, role in this episode. He really got to show the extent of his character, the themes of duty versus emotion, hawkishness versus dovishness were really clear as day uh the tension between like calculation and emotions is really such a deep theme in star trek and i thought it was presented here really well um it you know feels like a kind of a very military struggle um kind of wanting to perform your very best at every millisecond but ultimately inevitably breaking and what does that break look like um seeing the birth of the romulan interactions and that conflict was really interesting to see the internal conversations on their side of things i i enjoyed um the time travel element was a bit flimsy i i don't recall a lot of like time travel elements in star trek whether they are the you know the singular timeline or the multiverse timeline type of things you know you have to kind of agree on that it seems like they're going with the singular timeline in this in this version which it's always kind of flimsy um, and convenient with the Klingon time travel stone thing. I didn't love the actor playing Captain Kirk. I I don't think I got any Captain Kirk vibe from him or or char- charisma at all. Um, he also didn't. He doesn't particularly look like Captain. He doesn't. Kirk. And I have to say, I like that they didn't try to get someone who's doing Kirk. Okay. Yeah. Sure. But. There's there's someone who's trying to impersonate William Shatner, which I don't want. And then there's someone who I never would have thought that was Kirk in a million years if they hadn't said his name. Uh, so I, I want yeah. something in the middle. I want someone who evokes that character but isn't trying to you know put a new spin on it, do something different, don't try to like – just do a perfect copy, but it needs to at least evoke it a little bit. Yeah, I didn't get Kirk from that character at all. Yeah, like sort of like the suave, like kind of more charismatic. This guy seemed like a military nerd that was just kind of like, you know, just a hawkish dude. Didn't didn't have much charisma. Like you got to have a little, 
you know, suave or swagger, you know, as a curse. Well, I, I, I will say that to be fair, I will say that that is more what Kirk is like in the first couple episodes of the original series, hmm. uh, which is when this is taking place. So maybe that's what they're going for. But I, I mean, hmm. your audience has an idea of Kirk that's very different from that. And I feel like you have to lean into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I hear we're going to he- get more, a lot more of Kirk in the next season. So, Oh, really? Okay, we'll so see. that was an, I was just going to say, I really hope we don't. <laughs> I don't really care to see any more Kirk. Or, I want to see no, more new be- characters and stories, not the yeah. same old rehash. Right. I I mean, I don't, I think the actor, you know, I didn't think he did great, but I didn't have a big problem with it. I don't mind Kirk being in this episode. I think it was interesting for him to show up here, particularly since, you know, it ties into this whole idea that, uh, you know, Pike being the captain instead of Kirk was what set this whole thing off. So it makes sense to have him be there. But yeah, I really hope this doesn't turn into the Kirk show. We've got a, we've got plenty of Kirk we can go watch. I want to see Pike. Yeah, I don't have like a super strong attachment to Kirk. I just didn't love the actor. Um, so overall, right, I didn't mean to derail your, your oh, uh, no. rating there. I am done. Eight, 8.3, you know, pretty high. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the Pike elements you know, mixed otherwise, but yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, I really liked this episode. Uh, it's, it's probably my second favorite of the season. Uh, in fact, I'll, I, I think that's safe to say it's my second favorite. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll just give my rating up front and then I'll talk about why, uh, I'm going to give this one an eight and I, I thought about giving it a nine. I went with an eight because, um, the uh the episode with the the planet that's sacrificing a child um lift us where suffering cannot reach that was my favorite of the season that I'll, I'll stick with a 9 for that one and put this one right below that uh i i really liked it it's great it's solid um the time travel stuff is is anytime they do this it's a mess there's plot holes big enough to fly the enterprise through but i can forgive that it's fine uh we're you know, if it's in service of good story, that's all I really care about. And this one was really interesting. I love this tie-in to the original series episode, which again happens to be one of my favorites. So I'm a sucker for that. Uh, but it was really clever the way they did it. Uh, you know, they're placing Pike into this story that originally we saw Kirk go through. So seeing how two different people would address the same scenario and get wildly different results was pretty cool. Um, we get some great moments with, uh, Pike and Spock. Uh, we, we really see the relationship these two have, you know, in the original series, we, we get some sense of that in that, uh, in, uh, the episode, the menagerie where Pike is featured, uh, Spock, uh, basically mutinies. He takes over the enterprise and sends it to this planet to, uh, to rescue Captain Pike and, uh, you know, he's defying the orders of his captain. He, he's, you know, he submits himself for a court-martial at the end of it. So he's willing to really go bend over backwards for Pike. And we just are told that they were, you know, he served under Pike for a long time and they're close. But now we're really getting to see that ep- that relationship develop, which is really cool. Um, I do wish we had a little bit more for some of the other characters to do, considering this is the last episode of the season. Uh, so we got basically nothing but Pike and Spock in this one. Um, 
Mbenga was barely, you know, he's there in that one little scene. He's he barely gets to do anything. Luan's there for like one season. Um, it, it just, I, I wish that, that we got a little bit more of the ensemble in this one since it's the last episode of the season. If this one had come, you know, second to last or something, you know, <laughs> here's what we should have done uh, get rid of the aliens episode and then. Uh, <laughs> Have this be episode nine and then do an episode 10. That's more uh, of an ensemble piece. That would have been fun. Um, but uh, no, I really like this one. Uh, it was, it was, like I said, the second best of the season, as far as I'm concerned. I really like, I I, I think you said that really well, where you're willing to look past certain elements. Like you, I think you said, you look past the, the bad uh, time travel stuff. If it's in service of a good story, Right. And I think that's, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of Star Trek at its core, right? I mean, you're like, give almost anything as long as you're going to use it as a tool right. to tell a good story. I'm in. Yeah. Cause I mean, if, I mean, at its, you know, at, at its core, I mean, Star Trek is about phasers and space. I mean, none of that stuff is real, but it serves a point to tell a good story and entertain and, and perhaps educate. So I think that's, uh, I like that. I give you props for that. Yeah. All right, so, bef- so yeah, we we ended strong, and I'm really excited for season two. One, so before I wrap this up, m- I had one final question. So we've determined that Spike realizes that he can't save himself; that he has to sacrifice himself to save Spock, to in essence save the galaxy. So my question to you is, if they found a, you know a story wise way that pike was able to save himself and it did not affect the you know and he d- did not have to be you know maimed and and whatnot sure but he does not continue to be the captain of the enterprise if he if they were able to find a way to alter that timeline would that take away from this show because we know where it's going to go would you feel cheated if they were able to rework that and it doesn't end where we expect it to end. Frankly, I'll be surprised if it ends where we expect it to end. If they really end this with Pike in the butt, in the, in the freaky BB wheelchair, I'll be pretty surprised. Okay. I, I was, I was thinking about that. Like, you know, if this goes, I don't know, five seasons, six seasons, whatever, and they find some time travel way, or they find some other way for, you know, him to be, happy and sustained and he you know goes off with the traveler like in tng and he doesn't have to die i don't care i'm not i'm not in super invested in pike ending up where that he has to end up in that wheelchair no it won't take away from an episode like this yeah totally if if they can make a good story and he ends up doing something else i don't care if he ends up in that wheelchair or not but i feel like they're they're feeling like perhaps they're going to be hemmed in that it has to end that i don't know we'll see do we know uh what the time period is of his visions in that like how long in the future that is going to take place he he makes mention at the beginning of the episode um let me see that uh, he he says it's seven years in the future. Oh, lucky number seven. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you could be entirely right that that's what they were going for. I mean, they have no way to know that they're going to get seven There's seasons, seven, but that's right. the, that's the pedigree for a Star Trek show. It's a fine. Uh, it's a it's a perfectly fine like target for something inevitably having to happen or re- having to be resolved and having like a a series long arc of sorts. Right. 
Yeah. We'll see. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's 2022 and TV's more edgy now and everything. So, I mean, I guess we'll see, but this is supposed to be the, you know, return to form of the, the optimistic look at the future of Star Trek. So, you know, we, we've, We've seen, uh, you know, something a little bit like that with DS9, where it ends with Cisco going off with the prophets, and he's he's not dead, but he's gone, and and everybody's pretty sad about that. So uh, DS9 ended on, uh, you know, the good guys win, but there's a lot of downer endings with DS9. Um, a lot of you know people whose lives are changed pretty pretty dramatically, or or people being separated and and things like that. So they've they've flirted with that a bit in you know the dark Star Trek show that DS Nine was. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll be pretty surprised if Strange New Worlds ends with Pike in a wheelchair. I think that's just that's it's a bit too rough of an ending uh, for this show and this character that they've established. I just, I'll be really surprised if they do that. They'll find some hand wavy way out of it. And I'm fine with that. I don't even care if they just straight up retcon it. Like, you know, this is an alternate timeline. And in this timeline, he survives like, okay, I don't care. Cause again, I want to see good stories and I don't want them to feel like they're forced that this is what they have to do with this character. Like, yeah, keep their options open, do whatever works for the story at the time. I'm totally fine with that. They can go like multiple seasons without even mentioning this. I'm sure. sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's not. I don't think is is a big like hole that they're writing themselves into. I, personally, but yeah. All right. Well, that is uh, everything that I had to say about the finale. So this is the season one finale. Um, do we know when the season two is coming on the air? Anybody look that up? I thought it was already out. No, no, no! It's not out yet. I know. Oh, I don't know that they've even announced when that's happening. Yeah, it's coming sometime this year, but I don't think they've given an exact date. So, yeah, it looks like yeah. According to Wikipedia, it says twenty twenty three. So, sometime this year, but we don't have a hard and fast date yet. Yeah. Okay. I do know the the episode one is directed by the same person that directed this last episode. So it's it's most likely going to be like a two-parter. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Okay. They ended it on a cliffhanger, so. All right. Uh, well, we will be back in the future.